Hello, welcome in. Thanks so much for spending some of your time with me um, live right now. This will also be a podcast if you're listening in the future. Thank you for listening. Um, but the people live get to hear the early release, whether you're on TikTok, YouTube, Facebook, Twitch, and LinkedIn, streaming to all those channels. So thanks again for being here. This is the podcast, Builder versus Buyer. I'm the host, Adam Steiner. I run my own design firm that is called Burnham Design Co. Um, it's a lot of fun. I really enjoy it. I've also spent uh, roughly 15 years um, working for various home builders in Indiana and Minnesota. Um, and I did a lot of behind the scenes stuff. Um, managed a CAD team at one spot, managed the office at another, worked a lot through the sign to dig process with tweaking drawings and permitting and selections and all that. So if you have questions around those things, please feel free to hit me up. I'd love to be a help service to you as much as possible. All right. So I did have um, a couple questions that people asked on videos over the last couple of weeks that I wanted to pick up here. I actually did just make a TikTok video about one of these, but wanted to also address it in the podcast, a little bit longer format, take a couple more minutes to dive into that. And then again, if you have any questions, if you're watching live, please jump on those. I'll try and get as many answered as I can today. All right. So the first one, this is the video I posted as well. I got a, this question. How do I politely tell a contractor I want to use only stock cabinets when they're shoving custom down your throat? Great question. I would say most simply to answer it, say, I really don't want to pay for custom cabinetry. Um, what a builder might be afraid of is you, when you say stock in this question, they might be afraid, like a builder doesn't want to go to a big box store, typically. Not some do, some don't. But a lot of them have local suppliers that they have relationships with more so than the big box stores. So if if you say, no, I don't want to use custom cabinetry, but I'm okay shopping at your suppliers and providers, that's the main thing they want to hear. So, okay, you're our local lumber company that also supplies our cabinets. If you can meet with their cabinet people, design your kitchen that's usually good with us. That's, that's what they're, they want to get at. Um, so that's how I'd answer the question to just stress like you're okay um, using their process and not, if you're saying, if in this question you're saying stock means off the shelf at Home Depot or Ikea, a builder might freak out at that because there's just um, a lot more legwork on their end to get those cabinets from that warehouse into your home. They've got to do a lot more in um, design and layout. A lot more time and energy is spent on that. Um, whereas, you know, a, a cabinet, a standard, I know Home Depot has cabinet designers as well, but like a standard lumber company, let's compare standard lumber company to Ikea, right? Ikea may have somebody that helps you, but the builder really has to go in there and make sure that what the Ikea manifest that you've selected in your kitchen works exactly with what is um, built on site and will fit in that kitchen. Whereas a lumber company, their cabinet designer will be the person that does that for you. They will typically go out to your site. They'll do a, a field measure, make sure they're operating in the right parameters, all that stuff. So that's, that's one of the big things there, but let's talk the bigger picture around a builder 
forcing you to make an upgrade. I, I think one thing here is um, the obvious thing that pops in most people's heads is, okay, they're just trying to make more money. And that, that can be the case. There are builders out there like that. Um, I would say most of the builders I work with, that's kind of a rarity. They, they really don't want to operate like that. What I see more of is one of two things. So one contractor I work with, this is Matt over at Element Homes. I'll give him the shout out. Um, he is great at assessing his clients and really building a relationship with them to the point where if they're bringing up some product or, or feel, I don't, I don't have a great example right now, but he could just look them in the eye and say, I know you well enough to know you're not going to like that. Like I've seen it installed in real life and it's, it's not what I think you're wanting for the, the look and feel and quality of your home. And usually he's got such a great relationship with most of his buyers that they they'll be like, okay, great. You know, let's move on. Um, so I would encourage you. This is what I say all the time to people. I say it more and more. Find a builder you can trust. Get somebody that you really know and like and feel like they will be responsive and truthful with you with all the information in the process. Um, it's hard to tell on the front end, but I think people have a really good feel for when somebody's giving them BS and when somebody's shooting them straight. And I would say lean more toward the builders that shoot you straight and kind of ignore price because they're going to find a way to get their dollars one way or another. I would never go with the cheapest builder. Um, so you get what you pay for kind of a thing. Um, and then another thing I see back to the original question, another thing I see with clients with builders when they're trying to push an upgrade and it's, it's really to avoid the callback later. So a good builder is thinking a good builder will want to come back and warranty their work because they, they're proud of it. And they want they want you to live in a home that you enjoy for years and it's not constantly breaking on you. So a lot of times if a builder is thinking as you're as you're in the selection process or in the design process before the home even starts, a builder is thinking, is this gonna break down on them in two, five years, whatever? And and they will try and talk you out of those things. That's a really good sign of a good builder, by the way. Try and talk you out of those things because they don't want the callback. They don't want to have to come back in five years and fix things. So the example I gave in my TikTok was the, um, the video I posted earlier was a shower backing system. So um, a lot of times this is really popular nowadays to do a walk-in shower, custom tile base, tile walls, all that. I'm sure we've seen them all. Um, and what's a builder might say is, yeah, that's great. We can do all that, but I'm also going to charge you for the upgrade to go to full Schluter backing and a full the Schluter base and everything. There are cheaper ways to do backing in the shower. Um, there's a bunch of methods that are possible. Schluter is kind of one of the top of the line options. There are some competitors to that as well. Um, but in the ballpark, it's, it's really up there in price, but their reasoning could be, um, their reasoning could be that, they want to avoid the callback. The builder's thinking, this is the only system that I know works great and doesn't leak and you're not going to have a problem with in five years. So as much as it stinks to be charged that all up front, like let's do it so that you thank me later instead of ripping out your shower in a year or two is it's the worst. It's really the worst. Um, so yeah. 
Oh, question here. Do HRV or ERVs circulate enough air even to even out temperature across rooms? For example, one mini slip split per floor. So that's that's a tricky one because an HRV and ERV, um, typically, if you do one unit, it's uh, putting that air into one spot in your home. So they make um, smaller HRV and ERV units that are meant for smaller airflow that you can install per room. So that's what I would recommend if you're going to do something like a mini split because a mini split isn't a forced air system. So a forced air system, like a traditional furnace, what most people have in their home, um, is um, it's circulating all the all the air from the whole home constantly. So you get a much um, the temperature fluctuations aren't as much because all the air is moving throughout that home. With a mini split system, it's intentionally not doing that. Um, a mini split is—you've seen them—they're the the boxes that are on the walls. Um, you know, it could be three or four feet wide by a foot tall that kind of jut out into the room. Um, and so they have a um, blinking on the term right now a like a heat pump unit on the exterior that either heats or cools fluid that then moves to the in-room unit. And then there's an air exchanger in that there's a heat exchanger, excuse me, in that in-room unit. And then it blows the air into the room. So there's intentionally not any air changes between that unit, that room and other rooms in your home. So if you want to tackle the thing, the fresh air equation, you have to figure out a way to get fresh air into each room. Um, of the home. So that's one thing I'd look at. Another thing is to, um, actually, yeah, I, I should look into that a little more cause I don't, I haven't done a ton of projects like that, but just the, um, the, the things I've seen. All right. For those of you just joining, I am also recording this for a podcast to be posted later. Um, so, if you see the microphone, this is not the microphone that's connected to my phone that's connected to TikTok. So if it sounds weird, I apologize. Um, but that is what it's for. So you can listen to the whole recording. My podcast is Builder versus Buyer. It's on Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcast. Um, see, Kishore is watching from YouTube. Hello, welcome in. Thanks for saying hi. Um, Another question I got on TikTok this week that I would like to address. So I get this all the time in my job. So I design homes for a living. Um, I work with people designing custom floor plans every single day. Um, most often I get brought a floor plan online. Let's just be real. That's how the process starts for most people. Um, so the question I got on TikTok specifically is if I find a plan online, but want to make changes, should I buy it as is the paper slash PDF slash CAD file and have a look and have a local change it or change it through the online company? Um, great question for starters, whatever you do, make sure you have the rights to build it. And then if you're going to modify it, make sure you have the rights to modify it. So there should be disclaimers in the purchase agreements or on their website, you should be able to find. Um, it probably has like a one-time use license is what's typical with most online floor plans. Um, so that it's, um, you can build that home one time, but if you're like a production builder, you can't build that 
a subdivision full of those that's not legal, that's not covered in that agreement. So they'll have separate agreements for things like that. But I'm assuming you want to build this one time. Um, first, make sure you have the rights to modify it if you want to do a local to modify it. Um, I would suggest going that route, getting the rights to modify it and then have a local modifying it because the way, if you buy a full blueprint from an online company, they don't really know the specifics of your region. So I'll give you an example. I deal with this a lot as well. In Minnesota, we designed everything with floor and roof trusses. Um, it was more cost-effective. Most of the trade crews for framing weren't um, super versed in building a stick-built roof, and trusses are simpler and easier, and the homes go up a little faster. Um, the market I'm at right now in Indiana, almost everything is stick-built. Um, so we're using either two by 12s for the two by 10s and two by 12s or TJIs for the floor joists. And then the roofs are all stick built with conventional lumber. So what that means is if you buy a floor plan online, it's going to come to you and they will have made all those structural decisions for you. So if I get a home to build in Indiana and it's designed with exclusively floor and roof trusses. That's going to be a really expensive home relative to the square footage, relative to the rest of the homes that are being built around me, right? So there's ways to do that structural system to fit what's more in line with your region's supply chain, which is why I would say use a local because the locals will know those things like, oh, we don't really do floor trusses around here. You know, you'll, you'll get those things from that and then be able to um, cover that a lot better in your design work. Um, so that, that would be my, my two cents there. You could start with the original company if they're from around you. I think that's a great way to do it. Um, but I would also, so when I see a client bring a floor plan to a meeting, I always ask, what brought you to this design? Like, why did you pick this one? And so, so often, I wouldn't say 100% of the time, but 70, 80% of the time, the client lists things about the plan that are really generic that most plans fit. They like the open floor plan or they like the style of the exterior or they like that this had a sideload garage. And I don't think there's a recognition in a lot of people to say, to realize that a lot of those things are really auxiliary in design and can be tweaked and added to a lot of floor plans, a lot of layouts. There's ways to get... Um, all those features in most homes. So what I find with most people is I would say if you're going to meet with somebody locally anyway, I would say talk to a local first before purchasing something online because you might find that what drew you to that plan isn't the most important features of that home and you really wanted something different entirely. So usually when clients bring a plan to a meeting, we end up pivoting a lot from that and designing something completely different and it's all because of the questions we're asking through the process. And as, as we're really uncovering things, what is hard to change and what isn't hard to change, we're realizing, you know, it's, it's pretty easy. It's pretty easy to adjust. Um, so that's, that's my thought there on online floor plans. Got a question here on TikTok. What is the average price per square foot in your area? And where is your area? I live in Northwest Indiana, um, up kind of by Chicago, but was still um, all on the Indiana side. Um, I would say average price per square foot. 
sales price right now, I'm seeing anywhere from like two to 300. Um, and it can be more depending on how custom you are. Um, price per square foot is a really interesting discussion though, because it's where it's where everybody starts and it's such a hard number for everybody. I, you hear it in the industry a lot. Like what's the price per pound of your car or, um, you know, the price per square foot of your car, things like that, just to amplify the point that it doesn't, it doesn't make a lot of sense to just go by price per square foot, um, in, in a specific region. Um, and the reason is there's just so many factors that can come into that. I, everybody has a grasp on the obvious ones, right? Of like the complexity of the home and especially the features. If you're going to do all high end features, obviously that house is going to be, um, more more per square foot um than something that is more economical features sure but i i actually just got i had a meeting with a client this week and they were showing me an online floor plan and it was like the bid set so i had a lot of the um it had a lot of the sections and construction details in there and i was really able to pour through it and I told them, I'm like, this is a very expensive, regardless of features, whether we're using high-end features or low-end features, doesn't matter at this point. The structure of this home is very expensive per square foot because there's a lot of varying roof pitches. There's areas, there's like dummy roofs that are built. Like it had a 10-foot a great room, but then the plate height on the outside of the great room was like 16 or 18 feet. And it was, it was there. It was a beautiful house. And it was there to accentuate the front porch area and really add some balance to the, the design, which was awesome. But on the flip side, there's all this wasted attic space that you're paying for, that you're paying to build. Um, that's not popping up in your square footage. It's not adding to that. And it's not popping up in your features either. You know, it doesn't, you're not buying any more wood floor. You're not buying nicer quartz countertops. You're just paying for extra lumber, extra siding, additional windows, additional roofing. So it's, it's really hard to assess on a square foot basis all the time, you know, but I, I will say most builders will some, and you'll see this more as the further custom you go, the more custom a builder is, the less likely they are to give you a per square foot price. Like if you ask them, what's your per square foot price? And they say, I don't even give them out, like design a house first and then we'll talk. That's probably a custom builder, right? Um, but as you slide down that scale more toward semi-custom, most of them will have a feel for, okay, my standard house is around 300 square foot or whatever. Um, and then they'll have some, some caveats and things in there, but that's just take that always with a grain of salt. Don't, don't operate your whole design decision on top of that. And people that follow me know, like, this is why I'm a, such a huge fan of getting a builder involved early. Like, have the builder there to help you with these pricing discussions and not if you have, Hey, builder a said it was $300 a square foot. So I'm going to go hire an architect and draw a plan for 3000 square feet. Cause then that would be what? 900 grand. Can't do math right now. 900 grand. That's our budget. Sweet. Um, you know, like that's a bad method. <laughs> it's going to get you burned. Um, so my two cents, um, if you're joining along and want to pop in, have a question, feel free. Let me know. I would love to hear from you. Um, 
Anybody out there? Do, 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 do. Okay. I did want to also address while we're on it, telling your builder your number. So this, I think most clients have this perception and I don't know why. Most people are reluctant to tell their builder their budget number. And if they do, it's more often than not a lie. Personally, I know this is, may not be the most popular opinion in the world, but personally, I think that's kind of a dumb idea. I don't think if you tell your builder, and I've talked to builders about this, um, and I've been on the bidding side of this, so I, I do have a little bit of a grasp on it. Um, if your budget is really 600 grand, and you walk in and you tell your builder, my budget's 500 grand, they're not going to make up stuff to try and get you down to 500 grand. And hopefully, if anything, they're going to pull out features of the home and finishes to try and get you down to 500 grand. So they're not, they're not like, oh man, my bids came back at 600, but I really want to get this client. So I'm going to have to tell them 500. Like they're not going to lose a hundred grand on a house. That's not usually how it operates. Um, so what typically happens and what I would I would recommend is to tell your builder, get your builder on board early and tell them your actual budget and help them have them help you hit your budget instead of playing this game with them. Um, because all the builders right now I know are super busy anyway, and they don't have time for the games either. So it's not helping you. Um so if you were to walk in and say, my budget's 600 and the home isn't even designed yet, and then someone like myself, a designer, drafter, architect, if they're on the, on the team early as well, and all of us are at the table, metaphorical table, not literal table, but metaphorical table and saying, okay, how do we get this home to 600? What are, what are the best things we can do? Okay, here's the first draft. What do we think? Square footage in line. What are you thinking for features? Um, how does this look from a constructability standpoint If all those things are in line, you have a much better shot at actually hitting your number and getting a great home. If you don't do that and guess, I, I don't know how people are doing this because every builder I've talked to, sorry, most builders I've talked to hate the method of design floor plan gets construction documents a hundred percent done and then send it to a bunch of builders to bid it out. They don't like that. They don't want to bid those. They usually bid them fast and high because they assume you're bidding it out with eight or nine builders. So I, I just, I don't understand it. I will say there is, there's a point at which the, in the market that shifts, right? So, um, the further you get into custom, really detailed, almost a commercial project, like that, those builders want and welcome a fully designed construction set before they're going to bid it. Um, and that's, that's fair. But I would still bring those builders in early on the process and get everybody on the same page so they know what they're getting into before they're seeing those bid documents. It just seems like such a crazy idea to not do that. I'm contemplating building. How do I determine what a realistic budget would be? Ooh, another good question. I think the, 
easiest way without having to talk to anybody is just look up new construction. So if you have a new spec or model home that's built in, in or near a community that you like, you like the finishes of, you see their pricing, your pricing's probably going to be around there unless unless costs shift, right? So that's the simplest and easiest way is, hey, let's go down to Joe Schmo Builder down the street. They're having an open house today. Oh, their model home is listed for $750. It's 2,700 finished square feet. Maybe that's our our range. If we want um, to build for less than that, they might be more or, ex- or less expensive than other builders, but at least you have a barometer. Um, if you want to build for less than that, you either need to build smaller or less quality. And then if your budget's more, obviously you can build b- bigger or more quality. If you want to go more in depth, um, I would say uh, talk to builders and architects, designers. You don't need to hire anybody yet, but say, here's here's our family, here's our needs, here's here's my current living situation, whatever it is. I'm going to need two bedrooms and a full office and all this stuff. Um, what what square footage range do you think I'll be in? What what price range are you seeing clients like me end up in? That's a, that's a good way to start. Um, I think you can have early conversations with all those professionals for free without them charging you anything. Um, they'll probably take the meeting um, and go with that. So um, any other questions on that? Let me know. What are your average prices for the architectural averages for 2,500 square foot home? I would love to answer you, but since this is a podcast that's going to be up for a long time, I'm probably not going to share my pricing, current pricing on it because it changes from time to time. So shoot me a message. If you want to shoot me a message on Instagram or email, that's fine. Uh, my Instagram is the same handle as my TikTok handle right here. So at Burnham Design Co. I'd love to answer that. Let's see here. We're almost on 30 minutes. So if anybody has any other questions, jump in before I shut this thing down. Otherwise, if you're just tuning into the tail end of this, didn't catch the whole thing, I will release this full podcast on Thursday or it's it'll be live right after this ends on YouTube, Facebook, Twitch. Actually, I don't think Twitch saves your videos, but LinkedIn will save it as well. Um, so it's Burnham Design Co. on all of those or LinkedIn is my name, Adam Steiner, S-T-E-I-N-E-R. Um, looks like the questions are wrapping up here. So thank you so much for those of you that joined in. And yeah, I wish you all the best in your builds. Oh, I did get a, a last minute question here. Let's see if we can answer it. Is there a big difference between attic trusses and option? I assume and option. Um, could you explain a little more? Are you talking between attic trusses and like stick building? Um, there's a lot of strong opinions on <laughs> versus stick built. Gotcha. Um, so trusses versus stick built. I honestly have no opinion. Um, I think both are designed to the same codes. Um, you'll get some people to argue one is stronger versus the other. They're both designed for the same loads, live loads and dead loads, same snow loads. So it doesn't it doesn't make a lot of sense that one is drastically stronger than the other. You might have some mo- movement in one versus the other. Um, also, I've heard a lot of questions about fire rating between them. So trusses are held together with gusset plates, um, which is a metal plate with a bunch of little spikes on it that hold together the two by fours, the, the 
um, would members of the trust. So the argument being um, in a fire, those gusset plates melt and then the trust, the trust loses all its structural integrity. I've heard that also wouldn't nails melt um, a stick built frame. I do think would probably hold up better in a fire, um, but that's, that's a really rare scenario that um, yeah, I know there, it really does happen. Homes burn to the ground, which is tragic, but it's also really not, not common relative to most homes. So I, I've lived in both. I don't care. <laughs> I'm sorry. I wish I had a better opinion for you. I would say if it were me, I would just do whatever my market does. If my market's more familiar with trust building, go with that. If it's more familiar with stick building, go with that. Whatever you're going to get a cheaper roof for, like I don't really have an opinion on. <laughs> uh, sorry. Maybe I should have, but that's that. All right. We'll wrap up here. Thanks again for all of you that jumped in and um, joined in on the conversation. Feel free to... I feel free. Definitely follow along. Smash the likes and subscribes and follows and all that on all the platforms all over the place. So yeah, that um, helps me to make more content to help people out. So you all have a great day and I wish you nothing but the best. All right.